Welcome to the American Cinematographer Podcast. Go behind the scenes with today's top filmmakers as they discuss the techniques they bring to the art of motion imaging. Welcome to the American Cinematographer Podcast. I'm Jim Hemphill, filmmaker and contributing writer for American Cinematographer Magazine. My guest today is John Toll, ASC, whose acclaimed credits include Braveheart, The Thin Red Line, and Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk. Today he's here to talk about his work on Sense8, an enormously ambitious Netflix series that tells the story of eight people from different walks of life in different countries who discover that their minds are connected. The show reunites John with the Wachowskis, with whom he collaborated on Cloud Atlas and Jupiter Ascending, and represents another creative leap for that filmmaking team in its completely original visual and conceptual world. Season two of Sense8 will begin streaming in its entirety on Netflix starting May 5th. I'm excited to have John Toll here to talk about his work on season one and give us some hints of what to look forward to on season two. You had worked with the Wachowskis before on Cloud Atlas and Jupiter Ascending, so at this point in the collaboration, do they bring you on fairly early in the development process for something like Sensei? Do they tell you about it as they're writing it or bring you a finished script? Or how did you first learn about yeah, it? Well, yeah, a little bit all, all of that. I, I did, uh, Grant Hill, the producer, did contact me fairly early in the process. He, uh, number one, to inquire if I was available and interested. And uh, two, to uh, really discuss the the logistics really of how we were going to uh, approach the project because it was so unique in terms of the numbers of locations uh, and um, you know just the variety of locations and places we we're going to go and all you know production issues basically what was the approach and um, Lana and Lily were just the nature of the story takes place in. Um, uh, the nature of the story has eight main characters. They all live in different cities of the world. And and the major ambition of the project was to basically travel to each of these locations where the uh, main characters are based and, and uh, really firmly establish where they were and really shoot in the location so you're so you're aware of where you are the whole time and which was an important part of the story in terms of the diversity of these individual characters and, and all their backgrounds who at the beginning of the story don't know one another and they gradually come to know each other and then become allies in this in the in the drama. So uh, from a production point of view, it was challenging because of just the number one, the nature of the of the location moves, the amount of time we had to spend in each individual city, um, how you go about mounting uh, production given those circumstances because it was a you know it's like it was it was a series that had 12 episodes and uh essentially it was like shooting a 12-hour movie you know season one had 11 season two had 12 but it was the same you know the same production issues so um and i i worked with lana and lily prior to that grant hill had been the producer on, on those other films and so, you know, there was sort of a nucleus of a working relationship right from the very beginning. So it, it was, uh, and it was really, it was valuable to everyone that I was there and participating and coming up with this plan uh, to begin with. And, and, and eventually the plan, 
evolved around where does the equipment come from? How much of the crew do we do we travel with? Um, what is what you know? What were the individual challenges of just the you know just the whole concept? So I was right there from the beginning, make, being a part of the plan. Well, let's talk about some of the logistical solutions you came up with and the sort of overall approach to the series. Uh, what were the countries you were shooting in, and and what was the core group that you did decide to bring along for each country? The um, there were eight main characters, main characters who all lived in different cities of the world, and and season one initially, because the we traveled all these individual cities, but because some of the cities were going to be shot simultaneously, there were multiple units that were established, and uh, I worked with uh, Lana and Lily Wachowski on, on on all the cities that they directed, which was. San Francisco, Chicago, London, Iceland, and Seoul. And there were uh, two other units. Uh, Lana Lilly had uh, previously worked with Tom Tiefer, a German director. And Tom uh, had spent time in Nairobi, uh, Kenya, on a couple of other smaller projects with some of the local people in Nairobi. So Tom was the director for Nairobi sequences. And they had we some these were shot simultaneously. So there were individual crews for that worked with uh, the different directors. So Tom's crew he had two two cinematographers, uh, Frank Greeby and Christian Almsberger, who had history with Tom. And Christian had actually shot in Nairobi. And uh, for Mexico City and uh, Mumbai, uh, James McTeague was the director, and his director of photography was Danny Ruhlman. So. Um, the original concept was that's how the the overall um, cast of characters in the cities were going to be broken down. We knew that some units would be shooting simultaneously, but it hadn't been laid out that that well yet. So we went we didn't know about the specifics of the schedule, but it was obvious that we needed to organize three separate units in terms of you know, crews, in terms of the technical requirements, in terms of. Uh, individual cameramen, cinematographers, their crews, and their equipment. So part of the prep period was, number one, determining what the equipment was going to be that traveled with us, what we would be able to pick up uh, locally in all these individual locations. And uh, I, I did that pretty much with Grant and um, our um, production supervisor, Roberto Malibu. And so we, we, we spent quite a bit of time. I, I did some tests. We wound up determining that the cameras we used were uh, Sony F55 cameras because Netflix has a 4K requirement. So we wanted to, we wanted to be able to make a, the most compact camera package possible because of all the, all the travel we needed to do, as well as we knew that the photographically, photographic style, we wanted to be very mobile. We wanted to be able to take advantage of all the locations. Uh, Lana and Lily just talked about trying to be somewhat improvisational while we were shooting. So we wanted relatively smaller, smaller lightweight cameras that we used, uh, steady cams and hail cameras. So I determined that a F55 camera was probably the best piece of equipment that fit all those requirements. 
So uh, that's what I suggested. We shot tests. I set up a a provisional package uh, in LA before we left, just in terms of uh, purposes of you know technical requirements, budget, and that essentially became sort of the model for what all the other units did. It just made sense in terms of you know the what how we needed to approach the, uh, photography and what we needed on the back end for post-production. And so how many people then did you have that were your core group that you took with you to every country? So I, I, we shot with uh, A and B cameras the whole time. So we always, we always were going to work with two camera crews. That pretty much was the, was the same for every unit. And I, and season, season one and season two were a little bit different, but in season one initially, it was a full A camera crew. Uh, I went with me as the director of photography, camera operator, uh, first assistant cameraman, and an onset DIT. And that was the core camera crew. They went to every individual city with us. And we would, depending on where we were, we would pick up a B camera crew, B camera first and second, an operator. And um, the other, the other, I also traveled with a gaffer and a grip. So uh, myself, operator, first AC, DIT, gaffer and grip were the core group that traveled with me everywhere we went, and and and, and did all of Alana and Andy's, Alana uh, and Lily's uh, cities, um, and it, and it worked out quite well, and we. When we got to, we started in San Francisco, which was a separate B camera crew. Chicago was a separate B camera crew. Once we went to Europe, we stayed pretty much with the um, same B camera crew because traveling between Berlin and London or even Iceland wasn't uh, that much, much, that big of a deal. And we also learned that there's a certain efficiency level that you maintain when you have a continuity and crew people. And it became pretty obvious to us, even from moving from San Francisco to Chicago, there was a little bit of a lag in terms of people getting up to speed. So once we hit Europe, uh, I decided that we would pretty much stay with the same B camera crew once we were there. Uh, we did add additional members to the grip and electric crew. We did pick up uh, locals in all those individual cities rather than travel. So it was a combination of having a key group that traveled and then supplementing that, that key group whenever we went to a different city. Did you find that in the other cities around the world that were not in the U.S., was there any kind of learning curve in terms of figuring out how to work with the, the supplementary crew? Did they do things differently than you were used to, or was it is it pretty much the same worldwide? Well, we... Uh, it's a little bit of both, you know. The any any professional motion picture crew anywhere in the world essentially is familiar with this using the same tools more or less. And uh, but it's interesting how differently those tools can get used depending on what what country you're in and and just the the experience of those uh, you know those crews. Uh, but in addition to that, the way that we worked was pretty unique in terms of, of any motion picture uh, or television show because we were, we were pretty mobile and we were pretty flexible. 
and we had we had it had to be flexible because we had so many locations that we shot. There were quite often we shot multiple locations on every every shooting day, so that meant you, you sort of had to be pretty quick, and you couldn't get burdened with too much equipment. You know, it's like you know motion picture equipment is great for accomplishing your your mission, but you can get you can get killed by having too much of it, and it, you know it can it can get in your way more than more than help. So it was a combination of pretty much being fast and loose and light on our feet, and um, and we this became pretty apparent to us right off the bat when we when we uh, hit San Francisco, which was our first city, and it was all sort of like a general idea about how we would what we would have to do to actually accomplish the amount of work and do it in a way that did justice to the material. And so we went through a very steep learning curve in San Francisco. And, uh, but essentially that sort of became our, our mode. You know, we'd, we knew what we needed to do. We, had, we developed a shorthand on how we would accomplish it. Uh, Lana and Lily were really into the idea of the project to begin with and the fact that we were adapting uh, to the requirements of the, of the project and, and pretty much working in a style that was new to them. Yeah. And um, the first day in San Francisco was sort of a, uh, a real indication of what, you know, how, what the approach was going to be and how, how it turned out, because it, it first day of shooting in San Francisco um, was a scene that took place on uh, a place in, in San Francisco called Twin Peaks, which is a, uh, a hill in the middle of the city where you have these spectacular views, vistas of the whole Bay Area. And um, there was a scene that was written between... Um, two main characters, Amanita and Nomi, who live in San Francisco. And it's a scene that takes place at sunrise. It's a conversation with them sitting on the hill at sunrise, enjoying the view that looks out over the bay, So, which was a great idea. And uh, Lana and Lily wrote it to be shot at sunrise. You know, we can't fake sunrise. It's sort of, you know, if you're doing a scene about a specific time of day, like sunrise, you need to be there at sunrise. But the interesting thing about that choice of that location is that San Francisco is notorious for its and famous for its levels of fog, and on a great many of the days that you're there, it's like in the it was this place was incredibly famous for the vistas, but it was notorious for people going up there and not being able to see anything because of either fog or clouds or both. And so uh, the choice was made for the first shot on the first day of shooting would be to go there at sunrise and see these magnificent vistas. And there was probably an 80% chance that, number one, we wouldn't see any of that. You know, we wouldn't see the city uh, if there was a clear day. We might not see the sunrise in terms of what happened on the horizon with clouds, but um, it was decided that we were going to we were going to go for it, right? which we did. And so we arrived up there at you know five thirty in the morning in the dark, uh, 
still not being able to determine if we, what was going to happen at sunrise. And so we set up, staged the shot, set up the cameras, and as it started to get light, it was it was it, it was really looking interesting even before the sun came up. And as it became more and more light, we could see that there were there were, there was no fog. There was a good chance there would be no clouds, and it stayed that way until the sun peaked up over the horizon in Oakland, and you could see it. So the first shot on the first day went exactly as it was planned, and uh, the idea of actually trying to accomplish that was a was a long shot to begin with, and so we shot this, this scene at sunrise, and by seven in the morning. We were done with the first sequence, you know. And the first first sequence on the first day, we had wrapped, done, shot it by seven o'clock in the morning, and so we continued to do, you know, probably two or three other locations on that day. But that was sort of the tone and the style of what the whole project would have to be in order to accomplish the amount of work that we needed to do, given the nature of schedule, the you know variety of locations, the amount of travel. So it was sort of like an omen. It's like, okay, here's what we're going to have to do. And that worked, so let's keep doing that. So essentially, um, and we were the first unit to begin working. That was no, no one, none of the other units had started yet. So it was sort of like, okay, that's what's going to happen, and those are the kind of things we're going to have to do, which was sort of not a normal, um, safe approach to uh, protecting your, your, your budget and your schedule. It was kind of like, okay, we're going to take some chances. And that was, essentially that became the whole, the whole story of the whole season. You know? and, every, and everyone did that. Every, and everywhere everyone went, all the individual units, that sort of became the mode because you just needed to adopt that attitude and that style because you had no time and, and money to do anything else. And it was, you know, it was 11, 12 hours of material. It was 11 or 12 hour, 11 on season one, 12 on season two movie that we were making. And in about the same time that many people were making two hour feature films. So everything, everything had to be compressed, but we were still interested in the quality of the work being equivalent to what it would be on a, on a, on a good feature. Right. Well, were there any instances where you did not have the kind of luck you had that morning in San Francisco and had to adapt to your, you know, your plan not working out and ha and uh, yes, yeah, and but but the yes, and one 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 perfect example was we got a little cocky, you know, because things in San Francisco still in season one things were working really well, and there was another sequence that. Uh, was written for a certain time of day. Uh, once we got into we got into this time of day shooting mode because some of the sequences were written for specific times of day: sunset, sunrise, uh, magic hour. We got into a magic hour mode. It was like magic hour. Hey, that's fun. Let's shoot magic hour. So magic hour is that period of in the in the evenings be, between. The time the sun goes down over the horizon and before it gets too dark to shoot, <laughs> to expose anything, you know, before it becomes night. Basically, it's that period of time between sunset and nightfall. And that's about 
a good 20 minutes if you're lucky. And it's called Magic Hour because the light is, you know, there's a very unique character to the light. And it's, it's sort of a beautiful indirect soft light. And, 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 and it's obvious that you are shooting at that time of day. So it's, it's great to establish a time of day for a story. But it's also uh, just just an incredibly beautiful and interesting lighting situation. So we planned on shooting a scene on the top of a parking garage uh, at Magic Hour. And it's a scene where Nomi and Amanita meet Bug, this guy who becomes their one of their uh, collaborators, and, and, and he's a hacker. In, in Nomi's previous life, she knew him. And um, she asked him to deliver some equipment they're going to need to start their hacking uh, experience. So it's arranged sort of as a as a clandestine clandestine meeting on top of this parking garage. Bug pulls up in his van, uh, meets Nomi and Amanita. They have a conversation, and uh, you know it's, it's essentially it was an extended dialogue scene, and. Because it's magic hour, the clock is ticking. Basically, sun goes down. You start shooting. When it gets dark, you go home. But the the sequence was a little bit too lengthy to accomplish simply uh, in a matter of twenty minutes. So, and because there was coverage, and then you know the dialogue got extended, and as sometimes happens while you're shooting, people get ideas. The actors have questions. So we never we can never accomplish it in 20 minutes, and we had to go back and do it again. And we actually shot. We went back to that same rooftop, shot again. Unfortunately, the light was not not a perfect match to what we had before because it was a little bit overcast, and didn't quite look the same. And we didn't quite finish it in two goes. And we actually and we had to go to Chicago because. We ran out of time in San Francisco, and we finished that sequence in Chicago on top of another rooftop that we managed to match into everything that was in San Francisco, and it worked out great. So that was a that was an example of really going for it in terms of uh, a risky approach. It didn't quite work out, but rather than just accept the fact, oh, it didn't work, Let's go back and do something more conventional. We just figured out how to do it again and make it work. You know, uh, something else that I like about the series and that I think the San Francisco uh, sequences have, uh, are emblematic of is the way that you guys integrate yourselves with big real life events going on in the cities where you're shooting. For example, in the San Francisco section, there is a big sequence at the Gay Pride Parade, which I'm assuming you guys did not stage yourselves. I'm assuming that you must have had to somehow shoot. Uh, can we re repeat that? Okay. I'll start, I'll start over. Uh, you know, the San Francisco sequence has something else in it that I think is emblematic of what's great about the series, which is the ability that you guys had to integrate what you were doing with the big events going on in the cities where you were shooting. So, for example, in San Francisco, there's a gay pride parade sequence, which I'm assuming, based on your budget and schedule, you did not stage yourselves. You had to kind of piggyback onto the actual parade. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you managed to do that and what that experience was like. 
Yeah, that was uh, interesting because that was also in San Francisco season one and um, also a sort of a test case for this concept of, of photographing these large scale events with hundreds if not thousands of people, which also happened in other cities uh, in, in Mumbai and in, in a couple other places which were planned, but we were sort of the test case for it uh, during Gay Pride Week in San Francisco. And in the, there was a scene written into the script where Nomi and Amanita take, uh, uh, become part of the, uh, uh, one of the parades that happens during Gay, uh, Gay Pride Week was the Dykes on Bikes Motorcycle Parade, which was all uh, women motorcycles uh, having a parade. And there was several hundred uh, women in this parade. And so uh, Lana and Lily had written a scene that takes place with Nomi and Amanita as participants during the parade. And uh, we were going to photograph that. So we got permission to put our actors on a motorcycle, Amanita driving uh, and Nomi riding with her, as participants in the parade. So they were there surrounded by, you know, all the, all the real uh, cyclists. And uh, we wanted to, traditionally, you, you know, we, I've worked on other films where we basically shoot real events and sort of the traditional approach is get the cameras off somewhere on the side, shoot wide establishing shots, try to establish the event and numbers of people and then kind of restage your own version of it down the road somehow. But um, we decided to put one of our cameras into the parade itself on a motorcycle. But because all the motorcyclists were all women, that was one of the requirements for the parade that uh, we could have people on bikes in the parade, but they had to be women. And so we had a, we had a camera crew on a motorcycle as uh, basically photographing, photographing our actors in it, which was very unusual. And, uh, but we had, I, I had no women on our crew, so we had to recruit women camera crew, a, a, a female camera operator from New York and assistant. And they basically rode in the parade. We found a, we found a, a, a motorcycle rig with a sidecar. And they basically sat in a sidecar with Lana and, and, and a driver and basically photographed their actors. And uh, it was sort of like the test case for this, for this concept of, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna stage actors in, in these events, but we are actually going to be in the event ourselves with cameras. And that was sort of, and it all worked out great. And, uh, and down the road, there was another, the Ganesh Festival in Mumbai, you know, it was fantastic. Uh, we got some fantastic footage in season two. There's, a, there's an incredible election rally that happens in Nairobi that turns into a riot, and, which is, I mean, it's unbelievable. And they, we, we staged the festival, but there were, there were over like a thousand people. And, and it becomes a riot and it becomes an action scene with, with, with all these spectators. And it was like, I mean, it's, 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 it's fantastic and so believable. But I mean, it was, that was all part of the original plan. And not only were we going to the locations, but we were basically going to shoot them in a way that you knew where you were 
we weren't going to fake anything as much as possible. And you get, and it's a real sense of reality. I mean, you, you know, you really do feel the place, you feel the people, you feel, you feel the real thing. And that was, that was a major ambition of the whole, whole project. And I think, you know, we, we, we started out that way in, in, in season one in San Francisco, and it just, it just kind of got better. You know, we went through a, a very steep learning curve and, uh, we learned how to take advantage of all these individual locations, which was one of the primary goals for the whole project. Well, that speaks to another question I had, which was, you know, it sounds to me like dealing with, you know, you, you know, you had the lighter equipment, lighter package than you might normally, you know, less time than you might be used to on, say, the studio features you had done with the Wachowskis. Um, but was that, in the end, did you find that, liberating in some ways? Was it constricting in others? I mean, how did you find that the experience compared to what you were used to on, on features? I was, uh, for the most part, I found it liberating. I thought it was fun. You know, we had, and it was like um, challenging because you couldn't, number one, you just the, just the requirements of the show, we couldn't get burdened, overburdened with too much equipment and, and because we didn't have time to use it, basically. So, uh, we just needed to be very clever about choices of locations, what the advantages were for locations in terms of natural light or just lending themselves to um, a relatively simple solution. The simple solution didn't mean um, easy. You know, it just, it just meant that we had to be clever and really careful about choices we made that in, in get, so we could be as efficient as possible and make use of the t existing time we had and still uh, accomplish our goals photographically. Because, it was, you know, Lana and, and, and Lily and all of us were really interested in this being a great looking show. So we just approached every, every aspect of every location, every, every, every individual sequence like, how can we take advantage of what's here and what's available to us and still create, you know, a really photographically interesting dynamic show? And so it was all, it was all it was sort of a balancing act and, and everything, everything had to, everything had to support that idea and we just needed to be, approach it then we, differently than we would in a feature situation where you had or time, money, and, and equipment, or, or fewer locations. You know, it was all about it was all about mobility and, and, and making choices that supported uh, the general concept of of, of, that, of that whole approach. And how did your work on season one inform and impact what you did on season two? I mean, did did you sort of did you learn a lot from the season one experience and then sort of adapt to the to the to the approach? And the end result change on season two. I think we just got better, you know. And then and, uh, season two, uh, we actually, my unit actually did more of the work on season two, which meant that I mean we shot more cities. We we um, we actually had a little little bit more time, but all that time got eaten up in, in moving from one part of the world to another. And it was essentially the same crew, so kind of knew we knew what the, we knew what the drill was. 
we became more efficient at it. Uh, we took more chances. Uh, and Lana actually built into these scripts on season two more variety in terms of locations, uh, sometimes less time at individual locations. And uh, but we just we just we just learned through the experience of season one what what we had to do, and we everybody even the art the art department every every single department just got more efficient at at doing what we did, which only encouraged us to take more chances. <laughs> so. Yeah, what were the what cities did you shoot in in season two? What was so season two? Um, we started started in Berlin, and actually, what, one interesting aspect of season two that the the first two episodes on season two were actually shot in the winter. So we had we had a seasonal change. So we went to Berlin on uh, New Year's Eve, two thousand. 16 shot in Berlin on New Year's Eve <laughs> that was one of the that was another big you know uh, big crowd event that we sort of integrated ourselves into we shot a, a scene that takes place on a penthouse that overlooks the Brandenburg Gate in Berlin on New Year's Eve and then traditionally on, on New Year's Eve in Berlin you get hundreds of thousands of people who gather at the Brandenburg Gate and so we shot a sequence that actually looked down on this crowd uh, in, this, in this fantastic penthouse, you know. So, and that came about. We knew we wanted to do that. Lana went to Berlin early to scout potential locations for this particular sequence. And, and uh, all, the, all the Berlin, Berlin production people were telling me, oh, it's... Brandenburg Gate is a very sensitive area because the Russian embassy and the U.S. embassy are right down the road and it would be very difficult to get locate, uh, permission to shoot. And um, they were trying to figure it out and, and they were standing there having this conversation at Brandenburg Gate and talking about how difficult it would be to get in camera positions because the German Berlin government was very sensitive to it. And Lana sees this building. It's a, it's a, a couple of buildings removed from the gate. You could see the top of the building. It looked like it was an open area. She could see furniture. She said, "Well, why don't we go up there and shoot?" And I said, "Well, we don't. We don't know who's that building is. We don't know anybody." So somehow they tracked down this location, which was a penthouse owned by a very famous person in Berlin. He was approached. Uh, he was told. We'd like to come here and shoot the movie, and it's the Wachowskis. And he said, "Oh yeah, I know all their films. Yeah, sure." So we wound up, and we wound up in this guy's penthouse, uh, New Year's Eve. You know, the ideal, fantastic location. But that was just sort of, that was the kind of thing that happened to us continuously. You know, we'd uh, we'd get some outrageous idea about where we wanted to go, where we wanted to shoot, and it was sort of like, rather than just accept the idea, well, that's too far-fetched, let's not do it. It was always assumed that, yeah, we, yeah, we, we could do that. And uh, it was what we did, you know. So, uh, and, oh, so we started in Berlin, so in terms of season two. So that was the New Year's Eve Berlin uh, uh, show. And 
we took a break, then we came back in March, and then we started we started the full season of season two in March, and we, and, uh, we started in Mumbai, uh, in my unit or with Lana. We started in Mumbai, we went to Positano, Italy, then to San Francisco, and L.A., and then we were going to travel to uh, Chicago. But in between L.A. and Chicago, we were scheduled to go to Sao Paulo, Brazil, for a weekend, because there was another, there was a gay pride parade there, and there's a sequence in uh, season two where um, one of the characters who's who's has been outed as being gay comes out, and and he, he so he's he's participant in the parade. He delivers a big speech in front of thousands of people, basically coming out, you know, and so. We had always planned on shooting this sequence there. So we jumped on a plane, like on a Friday morning in LA, flew to Sao Paulo, Brazil, got off, uh, prepped for a day, uh, came back the following day and shot this parade. And, there, and this is a huge, massive parade with literally millions of people in the street in Sao Paulo. And we had our own float in the parade and we shot during the parade with our own people shot a shot a scene that's in the film and we had literally thousands and thousands of people as background actors who were uh, just real people in, 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 who, who were participants or, or witnessing the parade. And so, and then the following day jumped on a plane and flew back to Chicago. So that was sort of, that was sort of the nature of, of our production plan. And by this time in season two, the idea that we'd be in LA on a Friday, Sao Paulo on a Saturday and Sunday, and back in Chicago on a Monday, and in the meantime had shot <laughs> one of the major sequences in that show, somehow was like, okay, yeah, we can do that, <laughs> which was like, you know, any any other production that I've ever worked on that um, someone would mention this concept would be like, you're crazy. You know, you're never going to get the crew. You're never going to get the equipment. How are you going to get there? And we were just so used to being sort of this mobile unit. By that time, we said, yeah, okay. And everyone knew, the you know, production knew what what to do, how to get the, how to get the camera equipment there, how to, how to get it back, uh, you know, how to organize the crew, what, how, who, what else we needed. And it was sort of like, yeah, it was difficult, but it was like not impossible. And I can't, with any other unit, without the type of experience that we had, I can't imagine anyone actually trying to accomplish this uh, with anything other than, you know, weeks and weeks of preparation and, you know, three or four days on either end. You know, it was just the idea of get on a plane for the weekend, go shoot a scene in a, in a parade with millions of people and then come back and shoot, you know, the following day in Chicago was like unheard of. You know? So that was just sort of the nature of the and you know just the the ambition of the show and the fact that we could actually pull it off most of the time. Did you have any conversations with the DPs on the other sections, or was it you know were you able to coordinate with them, or was it sort of assumed that it would be okay if the if the different countries looked a little bit different? Or? Yeah, pretty much. We we didn't try to uh, we didn't try to establish a we didn't try to nail down like a specific style that everyone somehow would 
there was no orthodox plan, you know, and, and, and because of the, and, and it worked really well because uh, every cinematographer that I know I've ever worked with has, needs the, the, the freedom and latitude to actually do what they do the way they know how to do it. And I think that right off the bat, I, I, I didn't believe that we would be able to nail down a style that would make sense in terms of uh, really working in a way that, you know, that, that idea sounds like it should work. So everyone, everyone, all the DPs were pretty much free to do what they needed to do to accomplish what they needed to do for those scenes and stories for those particular characters. And it, it, actually, it actually worked out well because they were so geographically diverse that uh, the individual characters in the, in the cities they lived in, everything was so geographically diverse that you really didn't expect it all to look the same. You didn't want it to look the same. You wanted, you wanted, we wanted everyone to actually try to take advantage of the individual locations as much as possible. I mean, that was one of the whole, and there was a premise, a major premise to the whole show. Like, you want to know where you're at. You want to be able to take advantage of that individual location, which, which naturally implied that photographically they would be unique. And we wanted that those unique characteristics to, I mean, it actually supported the main idea of the show that you, you are in all those ge geographic locations. And that was, you know, that was really an important aspect of the whole show is that basically you're all over the world, so you didn't want everything to, to look the same. Well, I guess I want to finish up by just asking a little bit about uh, any work you did on post in the movie or on the series. Um, you know, where did you do the final color grading, and was there anything significant done to kind of alter what you had shot, or did you stick pretty close to? We did all the um, final color correction happened happened took place at Technicolor here in L.A. and. Um, in season one, I wasn't available for the entire post-production period because I was working on another film. But early on, even in early on in testing, we uh, went in and we you know, we essentially established pretty much sort of the the nature of the material that was going to come in, and and, and uh, it was just in general we we established a. A look that was, you know, a very natural feeling, uh, rich, um, just a very natural, rich photographic style. And even in the testing, we shot some different locations, so it was obvious that a particular location could have a unique characteristic. But overall, it just wanted that general style as opposed to trying to get too specific with it. And that's and that's in in final post. That's what we do with all all the locations. Uh, season one, I wasn't around to participate in too much of it. Season two, uh, I was able to be there the majority of the time. What helped enormously was that during production, we had an onset DIT, and I was doing onset color correction. So, and with that with that system, you are essentially pretty much establishing a color-corrected look going in. So all the dailies were essentially were, had, had, had pretty firmly established a look going in. So final color 
it wasn't like we were starting all over in final color, like determining a look in final color correction. It was pretty much pretty much baked in. And then all we we just spent time improving that because you can you can always improve with the tools are so tools are so fantastic and with you know with a, an experienced colorist you can you can make even on the days where we may not have been 100 percent you know on the nose we oh we had the advantage of improving in, in final color and that's and that's what we did so and it was also if there were questions about just the continuity between individual locations or are trying to maintain a when you wait when in in the edit you're constantly intercutting between all these in, all the different characters in all different cities so if there ever was a necessity to uh, try to blend some of these some of the some of the continuity then we could do it in in, in final color question so it was it was great to have those options but for the most part, it was uh, it was just refining and fine tuning uh, the original photography. Well, it's a you know it's a terrific looking show, and I, I really I'm really looking forward to season two. And I really appreciate you taking the time to come in and talk with me about it today. Great. This has been Jim Hempill and John Toll, ASC, for the American Cinematographer Podcast. This has been the American Cinematographer Podcast. Thanks for listening. You can find more podcasts, blogs, and exclusive ASC content by logging onto theasc.com. This podcast has been brought to you by the American Society of Cinematographers, a nonprofit organization dedicated to promoting the art and craft of cinematography.